What is up, everyone? Uh, welcome to week two, episode two of the Green Skies podcast, a podcast hosted by me, Will Schneiderham. Uh, per usual, I always appreciate anybody taking the time to listen to me talk. <laughs> um, it really means a lot. Uh, I thought week one was 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 a success uh, as as much as it could be. Um, a lot of people retweeted, gave me uh, some tips, gave me some words of encouragement. So uh, I'm excited to see where this goes now that it's on some people's radar, trying to get it on other other radars, of course. But yeah, uh, we're going to dive into week two here. Uh, what this podcast episode will be about, uh, this is dropping on Thursday. So Thursday night. So obviously a few days after the Jets' first game, uh, the loss, they go up to Buffalo, lose the uh, opening game of the season to the Bills, 27-17, uh, to and the score indicates a closer game than it actually was. But again, I, I so what I will do is I will give you just an overall kind of recap of the game, my thoughts. I'll give you five good things I saw, five bad things that I saw, and then we'll jump into the game preview for week two when uh, the Jets play the San Francisco 49ers, and we will actually have our first guest. So later on in the show, Justin Freed, Uh, He will join us, and if you don't know Justin, Justin's a big Jets fan, and he is very entrenched in just the Jets scene. Justin and I crossed paths briefly when I used to write for the Jet Press, the uh, Jets site for Fan Sighted. I am no longer there. I just do you know NFL now and some MLB stuff, like I said last podcast, but Justin, he is the expert at the Jet Press, and he's also the expert for Golden Gate Sports, so he's all over it. He's covering Jets. He's, he's got both coasts, actually, right? So he's working on the Jets on the East Coast, Golden State Sports on the West Coast, and he lives in Germany. So <laughs> a lot of good stuff from Justin. I'm excited to see what he has to say when we break down that game later, um, see what his thoughts are as you know the Jets enter another really tough game against another really tough defense. But right now, oh, and also at the end of the show, so what I'm going to do, I am also going to try to sell you guys on the fact that I somewhat know what I'm talking about with fantasy football. So I will recap how my last week's article of top five breakout stars to add in fantasy goes. So I will give you the five guys that I picked in week one, tell you how they did. And then I will give you again, per usual two of the five for this week's edition. You can find the other three on fan cited on my Twitter. And uh, hopefully I can help you guys win some of your fantasy matchups. So We'll take a little quick break, a little timeout here, a little TV timeout. And when I come back, when we come back, we will dive deep into this Jets loss. All right, welcome back. You know, let's crack the knuckles. Let's really get into this here and talk about how the the Jets dropped their first game of the season. It was, it was, you know, it really wasn't much of a game from the beginning. Just, you know what? Before I even get into this, and this isn't me just trying to kind of be the good guy here, but I genuinely, genuinely did expect a lot of teams to come out this way, just kind of not sloppy, but slightly unprepared in the way that unprepared in game readiness, like as far as conditioning goes, um, kind of really nailing those fine details like missed tackles, holding penalties, getting the getting the team together out of TV timeouts, all stuff I'll hold on in a little bit here. But for sur- surprising, just like an overarching tidbit, like the whole NFL looked pretty pretty damn good in week one. I thought the quality of play was really good for most teams. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of like tightrope this preseason stuff in, in the future because I do think like there was a lot of injuries 
and just a lot of non-contact injuries or maybe just a few non-contact injuries. And I, I do attribute that to a lot of the fact that these guys are just kind of going from camp to games, which isn't good. Maybe in the future we see a few preseason, one preseason, two preseason, preseason. But just a little side note, I thought that it was I was surprised that there was a very good quality of play in the NFL across the board. But the Jets were kind of the one team, if not maybe a handful of teams that, you know, uh, not even, you know, unfortunately, they just they just looked that way. They, they came out and just kind of looked a little flat. And that's unfortunate, but I actually do believe, you know, I see a lot of people just losing it all over Twitter, on the radio, and so on. I do think that gets shirred up. This was week one, coming into a season with no preseason, with limited training camp and OTAs, during a global pandemic when no one knows no one knows what's going on now and no one knew what was going to happen before the season, even there was going to be a season. So that's just kind of my side note before I get into this. But now, we really hit it. So, yes, the Jets go up to Buffalo. They drop the first game, 27-17. Josh Allen was 33 of 46, 312 yards, two touchdowns. You know, he had like a, he had a decent game or I shouldn't say decent. It was a good game, but at, it just, when you look at that stat sheet, like I'm looking at it right now, when you watch the game, you really didn't, you didn't really see a guy dominate like that. And 46 attempts is a ton. That's a ton, especially in today's NFL, especially for a team that really identifies as kind of a run first team. But he did a good job. He actually made a lot of plays out of the pocket. Um, a lot of almost like designed runs, a lot of QB keepers, like play action bootlegs where he rolled out. And he's just an super athletic. We know that about him. So he got out of the pocket. He actually had 14 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown. Uh, his long was 16. But that was really it. The second leading rusher was Devin Singletary. He had 30 yards. Um, but... 98 yards in total on the ground for Buffalo receiving Stefan Diggs did his thing. 86 yards on eight grabs, nine targets. Uh, the jets gave up 312 receiving yards. That's tough, right? That, that, that's difficult. That they definitely struggled in that department. John Brown, Cole Beasley had nice days as well. And then you go into the defense where the, this is where Buffalo's calling card is. They did get after it. Um, they had eight and a half tackles for loss and three sacks and just five over, uh, QB hits or, not just five, five is a lot. They had five QB hits and they played well. They played well. The Buffalo Bills had a sound game. Other than the fact that Josh Allen did fumble two balls, uh, specifically the one in scoring position and um, their kicker, Tyler Bass, he, uh, he pushed two field goals. So he missed two field goals, two for four. So basically Buffalo comes out, scores 14 points in the first quarter and they left a lot of points on the board as well, which again, that's what kind of kept the Jets in this game. But then you go to the Jets side, Sam Darnold, 21 of 35, 215 yards, one pick, one touchdown apiece, sacked three times, rushing 52 total yards. Your leading rushers, Frank Gore, Lev Bell goes six carries for 14. But Josh Adams goes, Josh Adams gets two carries for eight yards and scores a touchdown. So he was efficient. Uh, receiving two, 250 receiving yards as a team, and a lot of that was the bulk of that came in one play when Jamison Crowder ripped off a 69-yard uh, touchdown run or touchdown catch, run after the catch. Uh, and he finished with seven grabs for 115 and one touchdown on 13 total targets. Then your second leading receiver is Chris Herndon with six catches for 37. Herndon did um, fumble a ball and kind of put the Jets to bed with that one. 
And then on defense, three sacks for the Jets, nine and a half tackles for loss, five QB hits. So defensively, they they held their own at times. It was just the pass coverage, but um, I'll get into that in a minute here. So yeah, that is just like the general overview of the game. You look at it, the Buffalo Bills, a team that's supposed to be defense is, their, is the name of their game, and that is how they won this game. They only give up 254 total yards to the Jets. Uh, you take that any day of the week for any team, and then the, but rather surprisingly, Buffalo did put up 404 total yards. I did not expect Buffalo's offense to look that good, and they did. Rushing through the air, Josh Allen making plays. He's still when you watch this game, Josh Allen still is not the passer that the Bills are hoping. McDermott and the offense do a very, very good job of designing this offense based on his skill on his skill set. He doesn't have to make that many plays in the pocket because that's not where he's strong, obviously. He's strong when that pocket moves, when he's on the run, when he can flash that really strong arm. And then turnovers were both two apiece. Time of possession, eight just under 19 minutes for the Jets and over 41 minutes for the Bills. I mean, just look at this. You look at it, you're looking at the box score. There's no surprise that the Bills won this game. Penalties, which I will get into too. Jets nine for ninety-five yards. Bills seven for eighty. So the Bills like didn't play a very clean game either. But they uh they come out with the win, and that's really all that matters, right? So getting into, I know a lot of people are upset with the Jets' performance, but I'm going to give you the five good things that I saw. So number one, Ficken, Sam Ficken, the kicker. So I know like some people might think like this is like just kind of like picking anything that was good in a game that kind of was surrounded by bad, but I'm I'm being completely honest with you. It's a good sign that Ficken came out. He made both his extra points and he kicked the 31-yard field goal. Like that is a very good sign. I am not trying to to almost like some people might think that's a joke. Some people might just be like, you're picking one this is the only thing that was good because the rest of the game is bad. No, the Jets have had a kicking issue, as you know, for at least a year now. And the fact that Sam Ficking came out and, and got the kicks through the upright that he was supposed to is a very good sign. That is something hopefully that you can build off of because we have seen it and you saw it on the Bills side with Bass. He misses two field goals. I believe Greg Zerline for the Cowboys missed a field goal. On Monday night, there were some missed field goals. It is something that is like, slamming the NFL is the fact that these NFL kickers are just not getting the job done. And the fact that Sam Ficken did that, I take that away as a plus. Hopefully that is something he can build off of. Hopefully we can see him make those field goals from longer range, from different angles, in different weather conditions. But seriously, Sam Ficken coming in and doing his job in game one, very good sign. I like to see that. Uh, so defensively, I, let's. I'll talk about defense before I get into the offense. So I actually thought the pressure on Allen was really good. Like I said before, the the Jets did get into the backfield. They did have eight and a half, or I'm sorry, they did have nine and a half tackles for loss and three sacks, like I said before. And if you watch the game, Allen was constantly running out of the pocket, which which I actually, so here's the thing with this one. This one is good, but I also kind of think this is bad because the Jets did get that pressure, but I do think this is how Buffalo kind of designs their offense. I, they, like I said, they know Josh Allen isn't a pocket passer, right? He's not going to take the ball. He's not going to sit in the pocket and just pick defenses apart. So I actually think the Buffalo Bill, like the way they have their blocking scheme, was kind of to let the Jets flood the pocket, right? Because if you watched it, all the blocking was kind of their blocking from the outside, and then the, the pressure was coming from from that those outside tackles where Allen just kind of shifted the pocket, flooded the pocket, made the play so Here's my thing with this one. It is good that the Jets showed the fact that they could get that pressure, 
But at the same time, I actually would have liked to see Greg Williams kind of adjust that right, almost contain Allen in the pocket more. Because once you contain Allen in the pocket, make him a pocket passer, that's how you beat him. But I, you know, so that's my little spiel with this one. Good that they got the pressure, but I do think it might be a little smoke mirrors because I think that's how the Bills designed this offense to let the pressure come from certain areas because they know their quarterback's comfortable enough to flee the pocket and make those plays instead of letting him stay in the pocket. And, you know, unfortunately, most of the time when Allen's in the pocket, he's making tur- he, he's not making the throws and he and he's, leads to turnovers. So turnovers, that's my next point. You do. You forced two turnovers, right? And both of them came at the expes- expense of Josh Allen. Like I said before, he doesn't throw a single pick, but he fumbles the ball twice and loses both those fumbles. So, and one of them was, was really, I think it was in the red zone. Sorry if I don't remember correctly, but I believe one of them was in the red zone. And the one was when they were driving. The other one is when they were driving. So uh, that's good to see, right? Marcus May gets in there, I think, and he he pops the ball loose. It's, it's good to see the Jets forcing turnovers. It specifically fumbles, but that's kind of why I do think when you play a quarterback like Josh Allen, you you have to force those turnovers. And I'm surprised it was not through the air as interceptions. But you're getting two turnovers. You're giving yourself a chance. You're making up. You're making up for possessions where you turn the ball over. You're making up for possessions when you go three and out when you don't score. So it's a good sign. It really was uh, the fact that you get those two fumbles and it kind of builds momentum, right? After Allen fumbled the one ball when they're close to scoring, you kind of felt good about it. Okay, they they it's a momentum play. They forced this fumble. Now the now the offense is back on the field. Let's see what they can do. So I like the fact that you're forcing fumbles and you're forcing turnovers from the beginning. You're heating the quarterback up. You're making him a bit uncomfortable in some instances. Then Marcus May, and Marcus May is probably the biggest takeaway, the, the best thing that we saw was the fact that he was just ridiculous. If you put a number 33 on him, and you you in some sweatpants, you would have thought this was ja- Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams had himself a decent day out uh, down in Seattle, or I think they're in Atlanta. So in Atlanta, like Marcus May, it was not smoke and mirrors. It was no false narrative when this summer beat reporters, writers were saying Marcus May is getting all the responsibilities Jamal Adams had, and he looks great doing them because you never know in training camp with that stuff, right? We always hear it. Every, you never hear anything negative out of training camp ever, if you've noticed that. Everything in training camp is, this is good, this is great, this is amazing. This was no lie. Marcus May is a baller. He was fantastic. He was making plays at the line of scrimmage. He was making plays in the backfield, which I did not, I'll be honest, I didn't know if he could do that. I didn't know if he had that skill set that Jamal had where he could, Jamal just has such an ability to like, you know, time it like Troy Palomalo. He times that snap and all of a sudden he's on you in a heartbeat. Marcus May was doing that and it was awesome. He was making all the plays, coming off the side, coming off the edge, kind of hiding him in that nickel, you know, blitz package. I mean, Greg, again, this is a testament to Greg Williams. He really does know how to work with talented players and put players in a position to succeed. He's doing that with Marcus May. This guy is going to be that good, and he is going to be, or at least appears to be, someone who can fill Jamal Adams' shoes and be even better because he makes plays in pass coverage. So Marcus May fantastic a plus guy was killing it then my last good uh good thing i saw was was jamison crowder um just because again 
this isn't just because <laughs> he was the guy who had the most receiving yards for the Jets, but he gets targeted 13 times. He catches seven of them. What I like about Crowder is he's just a very shifty receiver. I think he's very highly underrated. I think he's a guy who really does a lot, and we have seen him do a lot with Sam in his brief time here. When you have a 16.4 average, and again, like I said, bulked up a lot by that 69-yard touchdown, but I feel like people are kind of like underrating that. Like, oh, most of your receiving yards came in 69 yards. Yeah, I mean, that's good, though. This guy took 69, took a made a big play on a play that, mind you, this was not a downfield throw. He took it and ran for most of those yards. So I loved seeing that, and I actually thought Sam made a fantastic, or Sam Darnold made a fantastic read on that play and, and got the ball there. But yeah, Jamison Crowder, and on a team where you really didn't, you really don't know what you're getting at receiver, it's really safe to say, like, you know what you're getting from Jamison Crowder. I can honestly say that. Like, Mims, we'll see when he's back from injury. Brashad Perriman, I mean, three reception for 17 yards. I know he has the, he has that knee uh, swelling, so we'll see how that goes. But you know what you're getting for Jamison Crowder. And last year, I loved what I saw from the guy. He makes the plays underneath. He always seems to be open. He always seems to, like, get that, you know, if you need third and two, he gets you three. So I like to see that, and, he, and he's really, I feel like the guy scores a lot. I mean, he, he gets that ball, he gets the ball into the end zone. So I like to see that from Crowder. The fact that this his game is, is really not deep balls, right? Like, it's not a guy that's not going to have a big day if, if the defense is containing him deep. This guy is just, he'll let you, he'll pick you apart underneath. And um, he's been a safety net for Sam Darnold, and I thought he was fantastic in week one. Now... We dive into the bad. So I shouldn't say bad, like more struggles, because like I actually genuinely don't think things are bad, right? Things you struggle with, things you can change and get better at. So five bad, five struggles I saw. Um, First, so the penalties, I said this before. So like the Jets kind of got away with it because Buffalo loves penalized pretty heavily and like didn't do themselves any favors either. But the Jets, it just felt like every time it was a penalty, it was like a back-breaking penalty. Like, on a third down, that gives gives Buffalo a first down, kind of like preventing them from getting off the field or having bigger plays. So, nine penalties for 95 yards. It's just, it can't happen. And Buffalo did seven for 80, so they're, they're culprits of it too, you know? But this, again, I don't know how much of this is the fact that it's the first game in really crazy conditions in a season we didn't know we were going to get. So nine penalties for 95 yards. It's not, it's never, you can't win like that. You just can't win games like that. And that's kind of what negated you winning the turnover battle. Like, yeah, they turned the ball over twice themselves, but they also penalize themselves 95 yards. You're either constantly working backwards on offense or just giving the opponent, you know, great field position, giving, letting them out of third downs, giving them first downs, making third and longs, third and tens, third and fives. So just something you like to see clean up. And I actually do expect that to be cleaned up uh, when the Jets play week two. Then you go to, I'll stick like in that ballpark here with coaching adjustments. So I act like, I think defensively Craig Williams kind of figured it out a little bit too late where it just felt like the Jets defensive line. Like I just said before, with the way they were kind of blitzing the quarterback, uh, I thought I was surprised we didn't see more of a QB contain on the defensive ends where you're kind of pass rushing, but you're also, they're kind of staying at home a little bit in case Allen flees and they're trying to keep him in that pocket. There's not much he can do with the CBs because the CBs are just inexperienced right now, but I would have liked on defense just kind of 
stay at home a little bit more because I'd like them to to make I would have liked them to make um Allen the pocket passer like I've suggested so far and then offensively it just felt like there wasn't any changes in the game and there was like a lot of weird third down calls a lot of like it calls when the Jets were pinned back near their own end zone where it just felt really conservative and I don't know I I feel like at this stage Adam Gase has just got to let Darnold go because I feel like we still haven't seen Darnold get you know let it loose and just let it fly and that goes into my next thing you know next aspect I saw that was bad and Sam Darnold just struggled a lot in this one and again people are losing their minds this kid is still very talented do not get me wrong it's just all the external factors of the season what's going on in the world the fact he hasn't been healthy the fact that it that Joe Douglas is really trying to build around him and get him pieces, and it just takes time to do that. He just didn't have it. His footwork is still a little iffy. Like when you go and watch the Alt-22, and I've seen a few beat writers, specific of uh, like Connor Hughes, he posted pictures of this where he's just throwing like a lot of balls with just his arm strength, and it's never, it's never very good doing that. There's like one guy. So I've seen maybe two guys that have ever been able just to do that, Michael Vick and then, of course, Mahomes. Not many more, not many uh, other guys who are, are making those throws um all the time. So Darnold, I just he he just seems very skittish. Not or not skittish, but kind of gets like that happy feet in the pocket. Where I do, I I would have liked going back to the coaching adjustments. I would have liked more like shifting of the pocket, right? I mean, we we see this with with um, Shanahan out in San Francisco, and actually, literally. Just another tidbit, something, you know, because the NFL is a copycat league. That is actually how, like, any offense is run now. A lot of marrying the run to the pass, play action, shifting the pocket. Uh, Denver did it on the Monday night game. Uh, Tennessee was doing it in that same exact game. Jason Garrett brought a little bit of that to, da- um, sorry, not to Dallas, to New York. Just a lot of shifting of the pocket where I would have liked to see them do that with Sam Darnold because I feel like. Darnold can make the throws in those designed rollouts. It's when he kind of goes off the cuff on his own and makes those those awkward throws that it's not good. I mean, it's not good for any NFL quarterback, and we saw that when Darnold threw that pick. It's just a ball you should never throw. You should never throw that ball. Uh, and then this is decision-making, like on that sack. He, he took that sack. I said just throwing it away. Just Again, this is a guy who is his third year in the NFL, but again, he has not had those reps because he's been hurt. So... Not a good game in week one, but we'll see. See how this goes. See how this progresses. New personnel. Um, but I do. I, I would like to see how Gase kind of change the game plan. See Darnold try to try to change the game plan on his own to to make him more of like a mobile passer. So he's not facing pressure all the time. I just felt like constantly the pocket was collapsing, and that's not his fault. And he was he was trying to make a play on his own. And then that goes into lack of separation from receivers. So I I just thought that. You saw Rashad Perriman, I think. I said three receptions for 17 yards, and then no one else. Like, Crowder had the big day, had the big catch, but it was just nothing. And listen, Buffalo's got a fantastic defense and a very good good secondary, specifically with uh, Tredavious White. So, listen, it's never easy when you play them, especially without really, really good receivers, and not many teams go and have success against them through the air. But... It was just hard to watch, and I think, again, that is part of why Darnold struggled so much is because every time he looked downfield, it was blanket blanket coverage. So next week, I'd like – it would be good to see, you know, more maybe more innovative routes um, where, again, it's not going to get much easier against San Francisco, but maybe the receivers just felt very 
like every route was very tight. Every, every route they were just blanketed and, you know, hopefully next week there's more, there's more play calling, more play designs where that is not the case and receivers can find themselves a little bit more open for the quarterback. And then my last bad, it's just Le'Veon Bell. And again, this is not that he was bad. The, the guy hurt his hamstring. Um, it was just, you know, maybe I should rename this like five positive things and then five upsetting things because this is more like my objective or subjective opinion. Not that this, not bad that this was bad and this is why. It's more like Le'Veon Bell was not good and, and he, or Le'Veon Bell was not used and then he was hurt. And that was upsetting to watch. So Bell, you know, he leaves the game. He actually lined up at receiver a lot, which I do like to see, but it's just tough. You know, when that's your guy, that is your best player on offense and he doesn't play because he got hurt and, and it just doesn't give your quarterback and your team a chance. And it, unfortunately, it does kind of like feel like Lev Bell with the Jets is is not like what we all thought it was going to be. And that could change. But six six carries for 14 yards, his long was seven then he two catches for 32 yards on two targets. It's just, that's a guy who, who you got to be, he's got to be getting at least 20 carries out of the backfield and getting a lot of targets at receiver. But again, he got hurt and that is why it's bad. His hamstring, and that's not a good sign, you know, for a guy that makes a living with his legs that his hamstrings hurt. So I was, it was upsetting to see him leave the game. And once he left the game, you kind of had the feeling that, all right, it's going to be interesting to see how they try to divvy up the carries and targets and plays for him and see who gets who gets the ball now but that's wrap this up you know the five upsetting things that I saw so the five positives were Ficken, pressure turnovers Marcus May Crowder five upsetting Darnold penalties Lev Bell's injury lack of separation in the secondary from receivers and just general coaching adjustments but again this is week one I know a lot of people are panicking a lot of people are worried, but hey, this is a team that's rebuilding. Joe Douglas has the vision, and this is a team. It's week one of the NFL season, and I know the game could have been a much, much, much larger score, but I think people also had to gauge the fact that, listen, last week I said the Jets could possibly make the playoffs. It all goes well, but this is a team that is going to have to find their way, a team that's going to have to work through struggles like any NFL team, so... I'm interested to see how they come out in week two against the San Francisco 49ers. I do think you're going to see a much, much crisper game, a much, much more inspired bunch. Not that they weren't inspired last week, but again, your your first game without preseason and stuff, that takes time to adjust. Um, and hopefully Lev Bell could play. Hopefully Perriman's a little bit more effective. Um, and we just kind of see an overall better game. It just felt like Buffalo came out like a bat out of hell, and it just all of a sudden you're down 14 and you're you're scrambling and that's exactly what happened they go down you know 21 to 3 at halftime i believe but then you outscore them 14 to 6 in the second half so you know you can take away the positives you can hone on the negatives but there's always a new a new week in week 2 against the 49ers provides the jets with that fresh start provides the jets with a chance to go out and grab a win so um after the break We'll have Justin on, and we'll break down that Week 2 game against the San Francisco 49ers.
right, welcome back. And uh, we're going to get our first guest on the show in the second episode of the podcast here. And it's going to be Justin Freed. And Justin, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me, Will. Uh, so yeah, Justin, as I mentioned before, he does, he's the expert for the jet press. So he, you, you and I crossed paths briefly, I think. I think I was kind of just finishing up with the jet press um, when you took over the expert role um, from Luis, right? I think that was a few years ago now, if I remember correctly. I, I became the expert in January of 2019. So I'm not sure, but I do know that you were there at least while I was a writer. So I'm not sure if you were there while I was an expert, but I know we, we definitely crossed paths at some point. So each other's names. All right, that works. <laughs> and uh, so you're also, you do the, um, the uh, Golden Gate Sports. So it's good to have Justin on here because we're getting Jets and he can give us a little insight on the Niners. So I'm happy to have him on as guest and uh, we'll get right into it here. Oh, also, Justin is calling in from Germany, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm in Germany right now. So it is currently uh, local time, one in the morning. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to try and keep my voice down not to wake up my wife. That is that's fantastic. You might be the only – do you think you're the only Jets fan in Germany currently right now? I'm definitely one of very few. I Honestly, I think I've seen like a Facebook group. Uh, it's like Jets fans in Germany. So there might be more of a cult following than you think, but I, I, can't, I can't imagine there's too many. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. All right, let's get into that. Break down a little bit of this this week one loss um to the Bills. So I'm just gonna go right into it here. What you know, what good? So briefly, I break down the good, five good things, five you know, kind of deflating things each game. So cool. I find for five good things. So I'm wondering, what good did you see in week one? Oh boy! All right. Well, for okay, so some optimism. I consider myself an optimistic person, so I like how we're starting with that. Uh, <laughs> I love what we saw from, from Marcus May. Uh, I think if you're going to find any star of week one, anyone who really shined amidst the darkness, if you if you say, uh, it was Marcus May. He, he stepped right into that Jamal Adams role, the role that Adams has been filling in Greg Williams' defense, and he looked apart. You know, we heard all these things in the summer uh, that he was the star of training camp. He was, he was playing that Jamal Adams role, and he was playing it exceptionally. And we saw that on week one. Uh, I think he had, he had a sack. Uh, he had that forced fumble as well. He was all over the field, making plays both blitz in the passer, uh, in coverage as well. He looked like Jamal Adams out there. Uh, now, he isn't Jamal Adams. I would like to say that this Marcus May is an expanded version of Marcus May, of the Marcus May we've seen in the past. Rather than asking him to just play 20 yards off the line of scrimmage every time, they're allowing him to expand his skill set. And it's, it's, proven out, it's proven to work. Um, so I'm very excited about what we're going to see from him going forward. Definitely the the biggest optimistic takeaway for me. Yeah, it's funny. Literally in the so in the beginning of this podcast, when I do the I I broke this down. You might have said almost like to a T what I said about him. Just I, I my exact quote was something along the lines of if of if you put a number thirty three on him, you would have thought it was Jamal Adams in week one. And uh, I like what you said. Kind of honed in on the fact that this dude makes more plays in coverage. I feel like than Jamal does. So. I'm excited to see about May. I mean, May was – it was fantastic. I, I, I truthfully did not know if, that he could do it. Like, all summer when we kept hearing it, like you said, all the beat reporters talk about it, I was like, man, I don't know, like, if Marcus May – like, is it is it kind of like, you know, blowing smoke or can this guy actually do it? And man, he really did. Um, so, I, I thought that was fantastic as well. Um, I also thought 
Becton, and unfortunately now I know he's kind of on the injury watch here. I thought that he played pretty well. He had a few really good blocks, and then he didn't do anything spectacular, but for the left tackle position, that's um, that's pretty good, right? You don't want to notice the left tackle position sometimes. Um, so what were your thoughts, and how did you rate Becton in his first game? I, I was very impressed with Mekhi Becton. I think he uh, was PFF's top-rated offensive rookie, I believe. Well, he wasn't. I think Chase Claypool ended up topping him. And, uh, but he was before that, he was PFF, PFF's number one-rated uh, offensive rookie, which for someone like Mekhi Becton, who many people saw as a project coming out of college, to see him play that well in his first career start against a good Bills pass rush. You know, Jerry Hughes, the guy he was matched up with, is, what, a 10-, 11-year vet, and he's been a really good player for a while. Um, so to see him play that well in his first game is, is very encouraging. We already knew he was going to be an upgrade um, over Kelvin Beecham in the ground game. Beecham's, I think, a, a fine starter. I think Beecham got too much crap when he was here. Um, he's not a bad player, and he's starting right now in Arizona. Um, but he was never, never great in the run game. It was, pass protection was always his thing. Uh, Becton, who I think we immediately saw, was an instant upgrade over Beecham uh, as, a, as a run blocker. But I was particularly impressed with how well he did in pass protection. He, for the most part, held up. I think he only allowed uh, one or two pressures. One of them was, was, a, was a sack that he allowed Jerry Hughes. Um, and then I think he also had the, the holding call. Yep. Um, but for the most part, he played exceptional. And I think the offensive line as a whole, while still not good, uh, was significantly better than what we saw last year. Yeah, uh, yep, definitely. I, um, I thought that, like how you said, he's a project pick. He was the guy that, you know, he might not have that high ceiling yet, but his ceiling is definitely exceptionally higher than other guys, such as, you know, Andrew Thomas. So, yeah, I was excited about that. I thought he played played pretty well. Um, and the guy that he protected, Sam Darnold, not so much. No. <laughs> concerned. You know, should we be concerned with Darnold after week one? I did think, like, I'm not – I always do play the optimist a little bit. It, it mm. Listen, and it's tough with this one, but – I, I thought there were some reads that were there, but um, most of it was just he just looked so overwhelmed at times. I just wanted to know, like, what are your thoughts on Darnold? And should we generally, like, start like, about another option? You know, at not now, but at the end of the year? I think it's definitely a, a conversation to have. Um, I've been a huge Darnold fan to this point. I thought coming out of college, I had him and Rosen as my QBA and QB – or QB1A and QB1B. Uh, obviously, that hasn't worked out so well. But <laughs> – uh, I still am I'm a believer in Darnold, but the belief is, is, is running thin. And it's not his fault. Um, it's taken three years for the Jets to break him, but he's starting to break. Uh, I think what we saw, especially against Buffalo, was, was one of the most concerning outings he's ever had. Because, you know, his situation is bad. Like, he has arguably the worst offensive coaching staff in the NFL. And I, I'm not sure if this is even an argument. I think it is the worst offensive coaching staff in the NFL. He has probably, if it's not the 49ers, which I'm sure we'll talk about, the worst receiving core in the NFL right now. Um, and still a below average offensive line with not much of a running game. So obviously his situation is bad and we know that this isn't news, but he was bad independent of his situation on Sunday. And that was the most concerning. Uh, the strengths of his game that we've seen in the past are beginning to go away. He's, he's, uh, he's, you know, shy to, he's, he's not throwing the ball um, in situations where he would throw it in the past. One of the, one of the biggest things about his, um, game. One of the most impressive things about his game coming out of college and, and that we saw in year one and year two was his improvis improvisation skills. And I want to take you back particularly to a play um, last week where he was rolling out of the pocket and instead of, you know, throwing it away where a lot of people might have thought he should do, he took a sack and just ran out of bounds. Yeah. Actually, play 
when you zoom out and you see like the, the non-broadcast film, what you'll see is Jamison Crowder, who's one of the guys who is healthy for most of training camp, one of the only guys who Darnold has any kind of chemistry with. Crowder had actually broken out of his route and was streaking up field probably 25 yards away from Darnold and had about six, seven yards of separation. The old Darnold would have let that rip. He would have just thrown that uh, and hopefully found Crowder for a big game because that was his thing, improvisation outside the pocket. When the play breaks down, he can make plays. But we didn't see that. Darnold wasn't keeping his eyes downfield. Darnold really isn't keeping his eyes downfield. He has the pressure right in, his, in, in the back of his mind. Uh, and in, in that case, he didn't want to make a mistake. So he ran out of bounds. Yep. Uh, that's something that is incredibly concerning because not only have we seen his weaknesses highlighted in Adam Gase's offense, now we're seeing his strengths taken away. And if, that is, if that's not the most concerning thing about Darnold, not only his present, but in the future, I don't know what is. So, yeah, it's not his fault. It is not entirely his fault but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of prospect he was coming out of college. It doesn't matter the potential he might still have. It matters how he's playing now. He's not a Joe Douglas guy. He wasn't Joe Douglas's his pick. And even though Douglas likes him, he's not going to hesitate to move on if he plays this poorly this year. Yeah. That, um, I, I had saw the replay with the, the Crowder play too. And uh, a lot of people were talking about that this past week, kind of head scratching a decision. Like you, you, you talked about right there. Um, but now we go into Le'Veon Bell, right? He's hurt after he said his hamstring wasn't hurt. It turns out his hamstring is hurt. So we're kind of moving into this preview with the Niners here. So, you know, I know you're not supposed to ask yes or no questions in this business, but is this just – what does this offense do this week? Or does this offense have a chance against such a good defense again in, with San Francisco? Uh, no. Uh, I, I would say no, even though – uh, San Francisco is going to be limited at cornerback. Richard Sherman's on IR. Akella Witherspoon, who would probably be stepping in to start for him, uh, is in concussion protocol and is, is questionable for week one or for week two, I should say. Uh, so even though they'll have a good matchup there, I just don't think that – I mean, the receivers aren't good enough to take advantage of that, especially if Jamison Crowder is out because he was out of practice today. Uh, we're recording this on, on Wednesday. So he was held at a pra- – or, yeah, no, Thursday. Thursday. He was held at a practice <laughs> the hamstring. Um, I think the biggest thing is, though, just the offensive line. And I know the offensive line was better in week one. It's still not good. They're now facing maybe the best pass rush in the entire NFL. Nick Bosa is going to be lined up against Mekhi Becton. If, you know, Becton played well in week one, but I, I have a feeling this is going to be his welcome to the NFL moment. I know Bosa's only in his second year, but he's probably a top 10 edge rusher in the NFL already. Uh, then you have Eric Armstead in the interior, and I, I can't imagine the, the likes of Greg Van Rotten, Connor McGovern, Alex Lewis. I can't imagine them, they're going to hold up well. And then you have D Ford on the other side, too, uh, who will probably wreak havoc for, for, for George Fant. Uh, I just, even though the offensive line has improved, I can't imagine Darnold having any kind of time and the running game getting anything going. Um, so I, I don't see the Jets' offense finding If they couldn't find success against Buffalo, uh, Buffalo's got a good defense. The Niners have a great defense, and I, I just can't – I can't imagine them finding success. Yeah, probably probably the best front seven in the NFL. I mean, it's – they're unreal. They get after it. And like you said, oh, Nick Bosa's on one side. You got to take him out of the ball game. Well, guess what? D Ford's on the other side. So, yeah, I, I, um, I'd like to say they have a chance. We'll see how they do. But it's definitely going to be a struggle all day. I, I, I can't see how it's not. Um, but – so when the Niners moving to the offensive side now, like they're very much a kind of a run first team as much as like, don't, you know, they might not think that, but they are, uh, you know, they're not Jimmy Graham. He's not beating you necessarily on his own ever. We've seen that. 
So if the Jets stop the run, how can the secondary compete against these receivers? Like you kind of you kind of hit on it before. You know, not the best receiving core, but the Jets secondary, we know how that is. Do you think that you know if they could take away the run, they might at least keep themselves in the ball game defensively with that secondary? That that's definitely going to be the key is if they can stop the run. Uh, I definitely think that the Niners, if if you could stop the Niners running attack, the, the, the jet or they'll become more one dimensional. And that one dimension isn't too great to begin with, especially with the injuries in the receiving game uh, or I should say at receiver. But the problem is actually stopping the run to me. You know, I mean, the, the jets as, as good as they were against the run, they had the second best run defense in the NFL last year. They struggled against teams that, that ran zone run. Uh, particularly the Ravens with, with Lamar Jackson. Now, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't Lamar Jackson, but Kyle Shanahan does things with, with Raheem Mostert and company that no one else in the NFL does. Um, they don't run it down your throat. They're not going to be running it up the A-gap into Foley Fadakasi. They're going to be running it outside the tackles, and that is the big concern for me because the Jets' edges are not good, uh, even in run defenses. As much as Jordan Jenkins, you know, his stats may look all right, he's a below-average player, um, average at best, in my opinion. He's not a great run defender, and he's not great uh, as, a, as a pass rusher either, uh, but he's the best they got. So I'm very concerned about uh, stopping the running game. And as much as I think the Jets have a really good run defense, I don't think they have the linebackers, especially with Blake Cashman out, because he's their most, most athletic linebacker. Um, I don't think they have the linebackers to be able to seal the edge, and I don't think they have the edges to be able to do it. But let's just say for some reason, somehow they're able to, to, to stop the, uh, the, the running game. Then I think their chances look, decent you know obviously they're still gonna have to move the ball on offense but defensively the Niners receivers are 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 very bad and they're gonna not match up well uh even against a a lackluster Jets cornerback group uh I know Brandon Ayuk practiced fully today he's the the first round pick out of Arizona State so he should be able to make his debut this week um I expect him to step right into where Debo Samuel's out I think he'll take over for that role he's speedy he's shifty um he can make some plays downfield or work underneath uh, I'd expect Bless Austin to be matched up against him unless Ayuk is limited because it's his first game. But other than that, I'm not scared of anyone in an offense in the, in the passing game, um, other than George Kittle, of course, who we have not talked about if he plays. But Kendrick Bourne isn't anything special. Dante Pettis has been extremely underwhelming. Trent Taylor is a below-average slot option. So their receivers aren't great. So if you manage to stop the running game, especially with George Kittle being banged up, I think the Jets have a, a decent chance of, of playing well in defense. The, the issue is – can they score? <laughs> yeah. Um, well you can, and you talk about Kittle. I it just seems like such, it's just a terrible matchup without CJ Mosley and maybe Avery plays this week. I hadn't seen any updates on him really. Um, I think he was limited today, but I believe he's on track to play there. Hopefully he's going to play. And so it's just tight. You know what I mean? He's a nightmare matchup for the tight ends. Um, I like, how do you think Greg, you think Greg Williams is going to dial this up just a ton of pressure to just try to get the, you know, heat Jimmy Garoppolo up, or is it just kind of sit back in a zone and, you know, hope you can kind of tip a pass here and there. Well, the only way the jets are getting pressure is if they send five, six guys. And even that might not do it. Uh, just their pass rush was, was so bad in week one. Um, and a lot of times Greg Williams was dropping eight guys back into coverage anyway. So it wouldn't even matter. I think that, the only way that they were showing that they can get even not like semi-consistent pressure was when they were sending guys like Marcus Mayer or Brian Poole on blitzes. Um, and I mean, if they're going to do that, Marcus May is probably their best bet to cover George Kittle. So May is going to be have to is going to be asked to do a lot this week, and he's still dealing with multiple injuries himself. He has a calf injury and I believe a hamstring, uh, but he played through it in week one, and you, you wouldn't even have known. 
So the good news is that Kittle is, is questionable for week one. He's not going to practice all week. He has the knee injury that he suffered for in, in week one. Um, so if he's banged up, if he's even like 50%, that's huge for the Jets because now they don't have to worry about, in my opinion, the best tight end in the NFL. Um, he's another guy, if he's playing out there, that he's going to be instrumental for the 49ers running game uh, on top of their good offensive line. But I, I think that um, in terms of the Jets getting any kind of pressure on Garoppolo, they're just they're going to have to send the house to do it, really. Yeah, I said in the beginning of the podcast, I thought I looked at the pass rush pressure as good but bad at times because I think the it was like the illusion at some times that they're getting into the backfield. But I also think Buffalo's blocking scheme is of that where it kind of looks like you're pressuring Allen where, you know, it's kind of more design blocking because they know he's not a pocket passer. Just let the guy, you know, get out and run and make plays with his feet. So I felt like sometimes you might be like, all right, they're getting in there. They're, they're doing something. But I think most of that was just because there's a way – I know, like, Dallas does it with Dak sometimes. These teams, they just allow certain rushes to happen where they're blocking guys specific ways because, they you know, they design it to their quarterback. Uh, so, yeah, I was – I definitely think if the only way you're getting like a pure pass rush is you got to send an extra extra guy, specifically like you said, Marcus May, and 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 then if you send May, you're, you're limiting yourself in other aspects. Um, and then Kittle, man, yeah, if Kittle plays, not only is he a threat, man, he he is he is like just a massive piece of their run their run blocking. So if he's at all unhealthy, the Jets maybe catch a break there. You know, it's as bad as that sounds. I'm never wishing wishing injury on anybody. Um, but say. Let's just say for hypotheticals here. So the Jets come out, they compete. What is the path to success? Like what is the, what is the, the road they have to kind of tightrope walk on to get this win? How does it look? You know, is it, is it, they got to put 30 up on the board? Do they got to keep them, you know, is it going to be a defensive game? Pathway even look like if the Jets are going to try to get this win. I think the only chance that the Jets – and I'm so certain that the Jets are going to lose this game that I was close to betting on it, and then I realized that I'm in Germany and I can't do that. Um, but the the the, clo- or the only chance the Jets have of even being competitive – I'm not going to say win because I, I, can't, I can't see that happening – but just being competitive, right, which is something they weren't last week. The only chance they have is if the offensive line – exceeds expectations and actually manages to, to control a 49ers defensive front that is dominant on its best day. Uh, now, they, they lost to Forrest Buckner in the offseason. Javon Kinlaw didn't start uh, week one. That was their first-round pick. They had Solomon Thomas in there, and he's, he's an underwhelming player. But the other three are just so good that it doesn't matter who they have in that fourth spot. Uh, they're also incredibly deep in the defensive line. So even when, uh, you know, say someone like, like Eric Armstead comes off the field, you have DJ Jones or you, you have, you know, whoever to throw in there. Um, yeah. So I think the only way the Jets have any chance of even being, even being competitive is if they, their offensive line plays well. And that means that Darnold has some time to make decisions in the backfield, which if that's the case, if he has time to make decisions, um, ideally you try and see them attack their, their cor- the 49ers corners. Maybe Rashad Perriman can do something against Emmanuel Mosley, or maybe Chris Hogan will, will actually record his first receiving yards with the Jets against uh, whoever, whether it's Akella Witherspoon or even better be Dante Johnson, who, who they just called up from the practice squad. Uh, he's, he's not good. So if, if, if he's starting a corner for the 49ers, that's huge. Um, so, and then maybe the running game can get going. Maybe Frank Gore can, can have his revenge game against the team he spent so many years with. 
Um, but it all just starts with the offensive line. The offensive line needs to do something. Because even if the defense is able to stop San Francisco or limit them, the Jets need to score. And they have not proven in the Adam Gates era that they can do that consistently. And I, I can't see it happening this week. The only way it happens is if the offensive line plays well. Unfortunately, that does seem to be the key. But, hey, you never know, right? Like, it, it, it's some of it I, – I, it's just awkward because, you know, everybody was worried that these teams would come out without the training camp and that, or, you know, with limited training camps, OTAs and look really bad. But like, there was only really two or three teams in the NFL that just looked very out of sync in the first week, that being, you know, the Jets being one of them. Um, And how, uh, just like a wrap up question, how much of this do you just attribute to that? Just the limited time? Like, do you think this team does team that we saw in week one is not the actual Jets, right? That's the week one, of the limited off season during a global pandemic. Like, do you see this team um, adjusting and at least being more competitive and maybe even surprising some of us? I don't think the jets have earned that benefit of the doubt, specifically Adam Gase. Uh, like you said, the majority of the NFL, you wouldn't have known that they had this wacky off season where there was no OTAs, no mini camp an abbreviated training camp and no preseason. You wouldn't even know. You would have thought it was, a, it was full going in the summer. Um, the Jets, like you said, one of the few teams that look that way. And I, I genuinely believe this is, this is just the team we have. Now, you can look at someone like uh, Pierre Desir, right? Pierre Desir is a good example, I think, of someone who I think will play better. Uh, maybe I'm being too optimistic there, but I think that a lot of his struggles were the fact that he's been dealing with a hamstring injury throughout all of training camp, is still dealing with that hamstring injury. And you saw it. He was giving everybody 10, or, you know, whether it was Stephon Diggs, John Brown, whoever he's covering, he's giving him 10, 15 yards of cushion. Um, and it's because he's not at hundred percent. He's not at full strength right now. And it was, it was pretty evident to me, but other than that, like the offensive line wasn't the issue and everyone was concerned about the offensive line uh, chemistry. And again, I can't stress this enough because Jets fans are very excited about the offensive line. They're not good. Like this is still like the low average unit. And I expect it to be uh, close to a disaster this week, but they're better. And that's all we asked for. They are better. Um, and so everyone that was concerned about, you know, the chemistry along the offensive line, honestly, the Jets offensive line lacked more chemistry last year than it does now. Uh, and they had a whole off season preparing once Ryan Khalil got there. Um, so as much as I'd like to say that, that part of it is, is due to what we experienced. Maybe some of it is maybe with maybe Rashad Perryman, uh, you know, cause he had the knee injury and he was pretty much a non-factor in week one, but that's also cause he was lined up against Tredavious white for a lot of the game. So I really don't think much of it is that uh, I think this, what we saw in week one is the Jets team that we're going to see this year. Uh, maybe give or take some, some splash plays on offense, uh, you know, lucky play, whatever you want to call it, like another James Crowder 69 yard touchdown or, or whatever. I see better play from the offense just because it's almost impossible to play that bad each week. But I don't think it's, I think this is a, a three and 13, four and 12 team that has a average defense at best, an overachieving defense, um, because there's a lot of players on that defense that are not starters that are starting right now. Uh, you know, the linebackers, none of the linebackers, even the outside linebackers are really starting caliber players. Jordan Jenkins is, is a borderline starting caliber player, but Neville Hewitt's not a starting caliber player. Neither is Blake Cashman yet. Um, Bradley Google's a fine player, but he's not good. I think the only truly good players the Jets have on defense. And this is crazy to say, because they're overachieving. I think they're going to be a, a league average unit. They're overachieving. But the only good players I'd say they have, Marcus May, Bless Austin, Foley Fadakasi, and on a good day, you know, Steve McClendon was really good last year. He was underwhelming in week one, but he's a good player. Other than that, McQuinney Williams hasn't shown anything. Henry Anderson was a one-year wonder pretty much. 
Uh, the edges are nothing. The linebackers, if Avery Williams is healthy, he's good too. But um, I think that overall, this is a bad team. It's a bad roster with a bad coaching staff, and they're going to be bad. And I'm not going to give them the excuse of, you know, they had a, a crappy deal in the offseason because everyone did, and not everyone looked this bad. Oh, Justin, I, I do appreciate it again, you coming on, making the time, uh, specifically – Given your circumstances, I mean, gosh, it is, it's late over there, man. I give you credit for, <laughs> for, uh, for doing Please. it. I basically live on your time zone anyway, so it's, it's no big deal to me. <laughs> I'm wide awake right now. I right, man, that is, that's fantastic. I can tell, trust me, I can hear it in your voice. You're, you're ready to go, man. You, you might be ready to get up for him. <laughs> um, but before you go, I just wanted to give you the chance to kind of like plug your social media, kind of, you know, say what you're up to right now, maybe with fan sighted and some pieces you're working on before you, you know, kick off and, and head, head out here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can follow me on Twitter. I think that's the thing that I've won plugs. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Uh, Freed spelt like fried, but not pronounced like it. Um, you can read my stuff if you're interested in the Jets, which I assume you are, if you're listening to this. Uh, thejetpress.com. You can find my stuff there as well as uh, my team of writers. We got some pretty good people there. If for some reason you were interested in Bay Area sports, which I can't imagine there's much crossover, but maybe, maybe you like that's why you're listening. I don't know. You can uh, read about Bay Area sports at goldengatesports.com. But yeah, that's about it. Justin, thanks again, man. I appreciate it, Will. All right, thanks to Justin for coming on and previewing that game against the 49ers. A lot of good stuff there, a lot of good things to focus on to look for, and hopefully the Jets can pull off what appears to be an upset against the Niners. And right now I'm going to sell you guys on the fact that I do know what I'm talking about, fantasy football. So in week one of my, you know, every week I do my five breakout fantasy football stars to pick up. So on the show last week, I think I I gave you guys Blake Jarwin and Darius Slayton. So Slayton had a big game for the Giants. If you picked him up and started him and you did it based on my advice, yes, let's go. Big game. He was fantastic for the Giants, and he does appear to be the Giants' number one receiver right now and a guy who's going to make a ton of plays downfield. So if you picked them up, if you haven't picked them up, if you still have a chance to pick them up, get Darius Slayton. And then... Uh, I gave you Blake Jarwin, and unfortunately for Jarwin, I, I believe it's a torn ACL, and he's out for the season. So that's a shame for a guy that I think was really going to be featured heavily in that offense. Um, but now, so the other three, Paris Campbell for Indianapolis. So he was six receptions for 71 yards on nine targets, and in ESPN leagues, he had 14 points. I believe that's just ESPN standard scoring as I'm looking on the website right now, but yeah, that's a, that's a solid day. And he did better than, Hey, some of the guys that you drafted probably in the first round, such as Michael Thomas, like I did. Um, but yeah, big day, solid fantasy return. And especially people I've noticed love to play like super deep leagues, like 10, not 10, but 12 to 14 team deep leagues. And a guy like Paris Campbell definitely starts in that league. Um, and as I said, in my article, these guys are kind of like you pick them up now in deep leagues, you play them in flex, flex in smaller leagues, wide receiver two in deeper leagues. But this is a guy that had a really good week one and, and maybe projects to be a very good receiver for the Colts. The other one was Alan Lazard. 
So Alan Lazard goes for four catches, 63 yards on four targets. So he caught every target and he had a touchdown, uh, 18.2 points, which is very nice, very nice return. And then the final guy, absolute whiff on my, on, on my end. So no one thought that Jacksonville was not going to go with Chris Thompson as a featured back, which they ended up, they just didn't, he didn't get any carries and he went, he had 2.6 points because he hauled in two passes for six yards. So, yeah, missed that one for sure. I apologize to anybody who f- listened to this podcast and ran to pick up Chris Thompson. Um, Yeah, not good. <laughs> not good. But, hey, three for five in the first week, and Jarwin, unfortunately, gets injured. So I'm going to say three for four because, hey, that counts. Darius Slayton, big day. Lazard, big day. Paris Campbell, pretty decent day. Now I will jump into... The two of the five for this week, give you a little taste. You can go watch the, or you can go read up and find the other three in the article that I share on my Twitter. So number one, if you watched the Texans versus Chiefs game, uh, Jordan Aikens, tight end, big, not, well, let's not say big day, but a very, very respectable day that kind of gave you a sense that this is a guy who's going to be very involved in this offense. He caught uh, two catches for 39 yards and a touchdown, which that's nice, especially in tight end. Tight ends are weird this year. Tight ends are always weird. I mean, let's be honest. You have like four very good ones, and then you never know about the rest. So, Higgins did very good in week one. I expect him to do the same again in week two. So the Texans will take on the Baltimore Ravens, which is it's a tough matchup. But, hey, I love the fact that this guy kind of break it open over the seam. He can be a big red zone target for Deshaun Watson. So, yes, Jordan Akins, that is one of the five. And then the other player that I will give you for week two is keeping in the theme of this podcast, Jets play the Bills, Cole Beasley. Um, I'm really surprised that Cole Beasley is rostered as low as he is, actually, because this is a guy that is like very shifty. He does a lot of good things. He gets a lot of um, action underneath. And he gets like a decent high volume of targets and catches, especially the deep league. Like this is a guy you definitely should look into picking up. Uh, and the and I believe the Bills play the Dolphins in week two. Where listen, the Dolphins are definitely like a more talented team than they were last year. But again, um, this is yeah they play the Dolphins. Beasley's a guy who can still torch it. The the defense isn't that good yet. And here's the thing with like Beasley, like he's not an outside receiver where you can like completely shut him down right like so say they put all the emphasis on Stephon Diggs Beasley just gets all the action underneath and in those short routes and that adds up I mean the guy gets a lot of targets and you know 10 targets on you know say he gets five yards per target 10 for 50 and maybe he gets a touchdown that's a good day it's a good return in fantasy and um the Bills like I said they they went they they absolutely had a lot of yards against the Jets of 400 yards but then you go and look and Beasley was third on the team in receiving with 58 of those, 58 of those. He had 58 receiving yards, uh, I believe, on seven targets. And I think he at least got like one. I know he got one red zone target, and, and he could have had a few more. Those are my two guys, Jordan Inkins, Cole Beasley. Uh, per usual, find the rest of the article on my Twitter, error on fan cited by looking up my name. I want to thank everybody for listening again. Sorry for kind of maybe a little losing my train of thought. Again, getting as used to this as I possibly can as we go on here. And thank you to Justin for hopping on. Loved what he had to offer. Loved what he said. And I'm happy, you know, it's awesome to get guests on here. And I will work to get a guest for next week. But yeah, Jets, they play the San Francisco 49ers. And hopefully we can uh, talk about a, a big W next week. So thank you for listening. 
And again, you can find this on Spotify, on Stitcher, and again, and it and it lives on SoundCloud, and I will retweet it myself. So thank you, and hope everybody's well. Thank <laughs> you.